I'm your host, Lou Carter, founder of Most Loved Workplace. The Leader Show brings together executives and leading thinkers to bring into focus our collective purpose and passion for what we do and where we do it. The search for occupational fulfillment, happiness, pride, and passion starts here. As CEO of the number 77th 2023 UK Top 100 Most Loved Workplaces, Thesis Systems, Paul McConville is focused on improving student outcomes, institutional success, and sustainable change through the power of software. He is a proven business leader who has delivered over $1 billion in exit value. He has a track record of reorienting EdTech, SaaS, and DAS businesses for rapid growth beyond $100 million, delivering improved profitability and creating significant increases in enterprise value. Paul is trusted and respected by investors, employees, and clients for his disciplined and transparent leadership, focus on the numbers, and deep knowledge of building repeatable processes. Thoughtful in strategy and planning, Paul can solve organizational problems and align teams to accelerate go-to-market results. And Paul will be on with us right now to talk about the values he's created and how he's embedded those into thesis to create a most loved workplace and be so successful in his work and for so many other people. Paul, it's great to have you on today. Can't wait to dive into this about thesis. I know you're in Dublin today. You're about to go out to dinner in Dublin. Great Irish food, I hope, and great dinner. And, and I'm psyched. We're gonna we're gonna dive into what you're doing at thesis, what your product is all about, what you do, right, to add so much value to so many people, how you've been so successful as well. So many important things to learn about. Paul, welcome to the Leader Show. Let's dive in. How are you doing today in Dublin? How is Dublin? Wonderful. Life is good. Great to be here, Lou. And uh, I think I'm going to ask, maybe you can join me on every meeting going forward. That was a great introduction. It made me feel special. So thank you. Good to see you. Nice to be here. Great to have you. And here's what I'd like to start with, right? I want to start with you. Learn about your successes. You have so many of them and all that you've done. Wow. One one billion you brought in. You're helping so many people to uh, be successful. How do you do this? What What's your secret formula, Paul, to this? Tell, tell us a little bit about you and how you got to this and what the secret to your success is. Yeah. Well, a little bit about me. I've been in leading commercial enterprises for, for 20 plus years. And I grew up in, in the business world in uh, sales, client success, operational success. And yeah, you note, I'd say, a fun number right, that I've been a part of some really just interesting, fun, compelling growth stories, going into businesses that needed a little bit of a, a boost and uh, leading through change and inspiring people. And ultimately, you do the right things and the enterprise value uh, will follow. And I'd say that that is the result of the fun. I'd, I'd say, uh, but when I talk about my success, I more often talk about the, the pride I've got in building other leaders. Right? That really is what drives me, is finding those people in an organization that when you say, hey, here's my vision, that they want to uh, attach to it and find ways to contribute. And often that's in ways that maybe they hadn't done previously in, in their career. And, and sometimes it's giving people a push, helping them to stretch. And you know, normally when I talk about my success, I actually talk about other people. So uh, a guy, Dorian Cass, who I hired as a, an inside sales representative. And five years later, I put him in. He took my job. And now he runs a billion-dollar division of a, of a public company. And Warren Dickstein, who 
was in kind of a product role and kept coming up with ideas to improve how we work with clients. And I said, well, great. I'm recruiting in the team. You're going to start working with, with clients. And she had huge success. And she talks about that as being a, a big change in the way she, she worked. And she's now a CEO of a, a venture-backed company. And guy Phil Hartman, or, or you know, my last position, my three VPs, Phil Hartman, Laura Fisher, and Chris Siminski, both, all, all three of them kind of executed on the playbook that we built. And, and now they're all CROs of PE and vac, uh, venture-backed companies. And that's where I get excitement is finding those people that can stretch what they do and come up with great ideas and, and really just need somebody to help uh, back them to do bigger things than maybe they, they thought they, they could. That's where the business gets fun. It really is about talent, isn't it? And I love how you describe it. It's, it's harnessing and sort of harvesting this talent, right? To develop great ideas. And what I always thought, I'm also a fractional chief strategic officer in addition to MLW. And the thing I see time and time again with CEOs is that they say, I don't want people to come in and be articulate about problems. I could do that all day. I can be articulate about my problems all day. I want people who can solve them in such a way that brings us to a new place, something even more innovative, something even better than where we were before. And it sounds like from what you're saying, Phil and Dorian and others have improved existing processes, know how to enable the playbook to work and to happen. And you place them into positions where they can thrive. This is sort of the paradox of companies and organizations and communities. We have communities, but the communities really allow people to grow and give them a platform to grow and to shine, as long as we find the right ones and help them to shine. You hit it. I mean, I, I think... Because when I look at people, and when I'll use when I came here to, to Thesis, we have about uh, 95 employees across the, the globe. In my first 45 or 60 days, I probably met one-on-one -on -one with 60 of them. And you know, I was consistent in asking, what are we doing really well? What should we be doing better? Made it clear you, you can't complain. Right? You can tell me that we need to do something better. Then if you were in my shoes, if you were sitting in my seat, what would you prioritize to do first? And that helped me understand, right, what is it, as I built my strategic plan, right, the team has got the knowledge of, hey, where are we special? And I, I learned so many of the special things about us as a company. Of our culture is fantastic. People generally, and I'll say enjoyably, support their, their peers, right? They love to see their peers succeed. And, and there was this sense of, of teamwork and camaraderie that I knew, boy, I better not mess, mess that up. But then there was tactical things that consistently across those 60 people that we were saying, hey, these need, things need to improve. But then I got to see who wants to step up to fix those things. I can't do that, right? I can set the strategy and say it's important and put resources behind it. But it was really a joy to watch people step up and say, hey, that's a problem and I think I can solve it. Okay, great. What resources do you need to solve it? So we now run our professional services team that two years ago was closer to a frontline kind of consultant, but he recognized problems and brought solutions and then came back and said, let me tell you what I solved as opposed to here's where I'm stuck with a problem. And then took a new challenge and said, hey, let me show you how I solved it. Right? That becomes fun to back and, and those people become change agents and can get others to, uh, to do more. And uh, finding those and, and then understanding their characteristics is then a great recipe for growth and bringing you find 
those same characteristics. Paul, I'm also very interested in what you said about being tactical, right? Because you talked about achievement and achievement is the fifth element of Spark that you, you did with Love Workplace Index, giving those resources, being an investor in resources, and then giving a structure for people to grow. Like they collaborate, they co-create, they align with your values and your vision and your playbook, which is essential, right? So I'm curious how people yeah. understand that, right? How, how do you enable that? Is it just in recruitment? Is it just in, is it just that first phase? Is it in your continual conversations as you go one-on-one with people? How do they get some of that kind of magic sauce from you? Yeah, all of the above. Right? I think it starts with knowing our values and we are deliberate about them. We got five core values, collaboration, authenticity, quality, results-driven, and honesty and integrity, right? So we look for that as we bring in people. We're deliberate about how we communicate internally. One of the things I've committed to in every organization I've been in is to be open and honest and transparent about performance and results. So we do a monthly town hall as a business where we celebrate our wins. We celebrate our people. We talk about the technology that we are developing. Uh, We look for client stories, but we also talk about the things we need to do better. And then on a quarterly basis, we go into the financials of the business. Everybody here needs to understand how are we doing because they their bonuses are tied to our performance, and those are cross metrics that we think are most important for us as a business. And we show them how are we doing, what are we doing well, what do we need to improve? Because then that becomes right touch points in which we can change behavior. Right, if we're not doing as well as we can be or should be in an area, let's have honest conversations about it. Right, we do need to deliver results, but we try to do that in what I call a growth culture as opposed to a performance culture. Growth culture says give people opportunities to try. And if they fail, it's okay. As long as they learn from it and they teach others, right? You can't make the same mistakes over and over, right? We have to deliver results, but let's give people an opportunity to contribute, learn and teach. And, you know, we try to build that into all of what we do and and how we do it. I do coffee with the CEO every two weeks so that I have a more intimate setting with three or four people in the company where we catch up. How's life? What's going on? But also, hey, what do we need to do better? What do you need from the organization? Or anything that you think we should or could be investing in that would make a a big difference here. So it's it's that spirit of openness and I think living it that as we saw in the results in, in your survey, people seem to, to value and respect. Well, let's dive into what Thesis is, you know, exciting text is and what you're selling. Because we, we want to tell everybody about that as well. So I'm sure that's an excitement layer for yeah. your employees and why they come to work right every morning. And so I would love to hear more about that from you. We've got this unique privilege. We work in, in helping colleges and universities do what they do better. Right? And I love what, frankly, their world stands for. If you look at every study and survey, it will tell you that those with college degrees or advanced certifications, they live longer, they live happier lives, they live healthier lives, and they make a whole lot more money over their, their lifetime. There is no other industry that has that clear of a value proposition. Colleges and universities don't necessarily always tell that story as well as they, they should. And we're in the business of helping them do really the business of college far more effectively. So we're a student information system, a student management system. We've got two core businesses, one that serves where I am today, UK and Ireland, and then Canada as well, where we work with mid and large size colleges to help them from the moment that they start to interact with a, a student to graduation, managing all those processes in between, like getting classes registered for correctly, 
to ensuring your bill is credited in the right way when you, you pay to ensuring that you know, when you pass your classes, you can go to the next year and, and all of that works well. Our other business does very similar things for small colleges in the U.S. where we're helping them really to transform how they work into a, a far more customer or student-friendly way through the use of, of technology. It's interesting, Paul. It is a huge challenge in U.S. colleges, I know, and universities right now, especially small ones, uh, staying revenue positive and enabling them to really uh, prove the value of their tuition at a higher rate and uh, keeping parents uh, happy, uh, applying to grants and uh, federal loans uh, so that they can stay on the up and up to get to get students in. Tell me about how you see your vision, EdTech, connecting to really helping educational institutions, especially small college universities, to maintain and stay in business because it's such a huge issue today. Yes, that you know, if you, you look, especially in the, and as you know, the small school or small college space, they've got a lot of financial pressures, and our goal really is to help them ease that, right? So efficiency in how they work can make their world different. And, you know, there is this, I find this space fascinating. So a study done said that about 70% of small colleges in the U.S. are using a, a student information system that's 20 years old or older. And think of the the changes in, in this world over the last 20 years. I, I did an internal presentation where I showed a picture of the original iPhone. And I asked our 90 employees of, okay, what is it? What year did that come out? And it was uh, January, 2006 or 2007. And then I asked, okay, how many of you still use your original iPhone? And I had 90 people stare at me like, what is this guy? It, nobody uses that. Of course you don't, you, nobody's using that. But we serve an industry is using technology that is as old as that original iPhone or older, right? We don't use that as consumers today because it's not an efficient process, right? That original iPhone didn't have a, a front-facing camera. There, you know, selfies were awkward and there was no true video on it. There wasn't Siri. And, you know, think of all the things that weren't there that we now take for granted. We're in this spot in which the education colleges really have to go through this transformation to become far more modern. When they become far more modern, they can be far more efficient. They're far more efficient. They can put more of their resources towards serving students and serving them more effectively. Right? So it's, it is a joy to be part of helping them to move into that, make that transformation so that they can, they can serve their students more effectively. Absolutely. I mean, there's so many connections to uh, first gen, second gen, bringing them all together and enabling them to come back. You're helping with all of that at, at college and universities, which is the fabric really of our society. Like you said, people who graduate from college, more successful, more happy. I mean, that's that that's a bottom yeah. line. And I credit a guy, uh, John Grant, dean of students at Northeastern Wisconsin Technical College. I I didn't have a background in uh, education or ed tech, but seven or eight years ago, I got into ed tech, and it was early in this industry, and I was out with. John Grant, Dean of Students at this um, technical college. And we were using a technology there that he was excited to say, hey, let me show you how many lives we just impacted. So we helped improve retention by 16% in a at-risk group, lower income grant eligible students that were having a really tough time retaining. With our technology, they helped improve that by 16%. He looked at me and said, think of how many lives we're changing. And that was my aha moment of, 
oh, okay, great technology can have great results. And, and that impacts a lifetime and maybe changes the next generation of that person, right? So it really is a powerful place to be. Absolutely is. And using tech in that way and enabling that new culture, man, it's like yeah. we're giving life to, to culture and it, it, making it even better than it was now. I mean, talk about progress. You know, we say AI is bad. No, it's not. Tech, tech enables us to get even better. And it's a beautiful thing. And I think we're, we're a lot of people are so averse to it and saying we yeah. don't want to get better. We don't want to improve the versions. But no, we're improving ourselves. You can't be with that iPhone 1 anymore. We have to put together phone, email, and text at least together, like Steve Jobs said in his famous iPhone presentation. Yeah. Let's get to phone, text, and email. So, so let so let's go back to the culture because it's clear that that's the the way that you're moving from a performance culture to a growth culture, right? This growth mindset. We often look at growth as just financial. It's growth mindset, right? Because growth happens through talent. So, you know, we just got to, you know, first of all, somebody just said real, something real nice about Angela Spring and she's part of your company. She said that she values that transparency and honesty, oh, yeah. right? So that's a good thing to see. And then, so Carrie asks, you know, what advice would you have for business leaders and how to move from a performance culture? We talked about that to a growth culture and a growth mindset, what you're talking about. How, how can they start that? How have you started it? You know, again, a great example today is I'm here in, uh, in Dublin. I, had one of our employees meet me here. We were out at a, a client, and after the, the meeting with the client, I asked, "Yeah, we do a debrief, and hey, how did things go to this employee? What would should we have done more, better, or different?" So we just started kicking off a good conversation, and I said, "Well, tell me what else should we be doing as a company to make this business better?" And we've got two ears and one mouth. I, I try to use those in proportion, right? Listen more than I than I talk, and so asking those questions. And then listen, and one of the things that, that Emma talked about was, hey, building kind of for our employees career development and what she want to know, hey, what things can she do to build her career? And I said, well, you know, what do you want to do? Because I shouldn't be telling you what you, you should be when you, you grow up. It's, it's you should tell me and we should be supportive. And, and I think that has to come into you moving to a growth culture is understanding, right? What is it that people want to try and do? And it has to fit within the job description. And but she said, "Hey, I'd like to try other things. I want to, you know, learn more across the business. Could you give me opportunities to do?" And she noted a few things. And that, yes, absolutely, right. And that giving people the opportunity to try also give means giving them the opportunity uh, to try and potentially fail at something. And that's not that's not bad. And so there has to be some tolerance built in built into it. And I think it starts with some of those conversations. We've got a strategic plan, and part of that is one of our strategic pillars. is a It's about empower ownership, and to me, that that goes to the help people feel as if you know they can make decisions and they can solve problems, and doing that as close to to the problem as possible. Right, the more that gets pushed up to me or leadership team, right, the less clear we are on the problem because each time you go up a level, you're further and further away from from the problem, right? So I think to Kerry's question, you know, it starts with those conversations. It starts with just finding small ways to give people opportunities to try things. And Paul, I'm curious about, you know, power leadership and the pillars, right? Did you develop those with your top team? How did you come up with them and ink them, if you will, and make it a part of the fabric of your company? Yeah, so each year we, we talk as a leadership group and it's, what are we trying to accomplish this year? And 
that list often becomes 10 or 15 or, or 20 things. Uh, I don't know why I settled on years ago that if you have more than six strategic priorities, you're going to be overwhelmed and, and you can't do too many. And so then it's as a group narrowing those things down about um, what will have the greatest impact on us as a, as a company for our clients, for our growth in, into the future and whittling those down as, as a team. And then, you know, what we have is a strategic priority. There's the tactics below that. So, okay, how will we accomplish that ownership, right? So you can assign the racy who's accountable and who's responsible for it and then metrics and time, right? So it's, once you have that priority, what are you going to do about it? Who ultimately owns that? And how will we know if we are successful? Right? The, the metrics that say, yes, we are making progress and putting a time bound so that it's, you know, you, you know okay, in the first quarter, we said we were going to get these things accomplished for improving quality. Right? What did we do? Did we deliver on it? It gives us a chance to reflect every quarter and say, hey, do we need to course correct? Or boy, we're doing this one really well. Let's double down on it so we get more impact from it. Absolutely, I like that how you Absolutely. keep it down to six. They say that uh, you know you can't you can't remember more than a seven-digit phone number, and I think we've brought that down <laughs> to six, <laughs> at least to six, as it's so there's just so much headspace and energy we have to drive it forward. You know that 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 does speak to the next question. I did want to bring up from Scott Bax because he's really asking here about alignment and motivation, especially during uh, these challenging times and. I, you mentioned Racy bringing people together and uh, clarifying those objectives, taking the time to do that. Are there other ways that you're saying sort of approaches that you've taken to really achieve your numbers, which is extremely important, right? Satisfy and, uh, and engage your customers and also for prospects while innovating throughout time to, to improve. What have you seen as sort of daily strategies beyond the one-on-ones, beyond the town halls that people can stay on track really and stay aligned with your visions and values? Yeah, as we have that strategic plan, every part of the organization, so each department has to define how they attach to that strategic plan. To Scott's question, in a lot of ways, we as humans are designed to resist change, right? And it, it often is the most challenging thing in any organization to say, we're going to move from the way we've done it for the last year or three years or five years or 10 years and, and say, we're going to embark on something different. It's uncomfortable. And I think that's why we as an organization try to be overly transparent around what we are doing. That's why the, the monthly town halls, so that we get the small demonstrations of that change. And we can do better in this, but I, we, you know, this one thing we try to do is celebrate the small parts of change. And that, that could be one of the things we, we've, we do is every quarter we have a, what we call our kudos awards. So who's exhibiting behaviors that we want to celebrate. And those behaviors may just be, hey, this person went above and beyond for a client, but the way they did it was substantial because we can highlight them. Others see what good looks like. And we start to drive at others saying, okay, I understand what, how to align, how to change. But also, you know, that becomes part of the honest conversation of, hey, this is where we're going. And it's okay if some people may want to self-select and say, well, that, that's not really what I want to do going forward, or I'm uncomfortable with that. Okay, well, that, hey, let's have the respectful conversation. You know where we're going. We'd love for you to be a part, but if you're uncomfortable, that, that's okay. And then that works into, right, part of change is helping you bring in others into the institution or into the organization that do model the behaviors and 
the experience that that you want that can help us to grow and to change. And you know, as a business, we we brought on 16 new employees last year, and and I'll thank you. And I think part of we, uh, I think 15 of the 16 were all internal hires. We didn't use a any uh, external vendor um, or recruiter right? because we can say things like, "Hey, we are a most love." workplace and there is a special culture here and then we align our interview process to understanding will, will people be part of that culture they can help us to stretch and to grow right i don't want group think more and more people that look like what we have i want change and, and different and, and so it's been a powerful formula to, to drive change we you know, never goes as fast as you want there's always some pain along the way but being open and honest and, and talking about those things is really helpful i personally appreciate that you see that and are using the model for that because that's exactly how it was designed to enable you to have promotion from within, to express it inside of your models and values and your strategic plan. Well, Paul McConville is awesome having you here with us today on the Newsweek Leader Show. And um, I look forward to uh, talking with you soon and working with you and as a most loved workplace. Thanks very much, Paul.